This is an ABC podcast. Across Australia, you're tuned to ABC Sport. This is Summer Grandstand with Karen Tai on ABC Radio, Sport Digital and the ABC Listen app. One of my great joys on Summer Grandstand on busy weekends is taking you around the grounds, mixed in with interviews, live coverage of sport and more. So when the news came through this month that Tracy Holmes would be signing off from her time with the ABC this week, the first woman to host a national radio sports program in Australia when Grandstand began back in 1992 and all that's followed, with the ABC in her time working overseas covering 13 Olympic Games, host of the Ticket podcast, interviews and so much more, I thought... My Around the Grounds this weekend has to include a stop in Sydney to say a big hello to someone who will always be a part of our Grandstand family, Tracy Holmes, and who I remember so well tuning into when I was starting out in ABC TV Sport around the same time. Tracy, hello. Hi, Karen. It feels like you've been right there with me the whole way through. It's quite amazing, really. But you talk about Around the Grounds, and I remember sometimes, because <laughs> I've always had this thing where I'll do an interview with whoever whoever I want to get, whenever they can do it. And so quite often it involves people overseas. And so I'd be coming into work at, you know, 11pm, 3am, 4am, whatever, climb under the desk, have a bit of a sleep, then get up and do my day job. And I remember once when we'd gone around the grounds and, and I started and I fell asleep. So I'd thrown to somebody at the rugby league <laughs> and I was meant to pick it up to go to the AFL and, and I woke up, my head was on the desk and I could hear my producer, Peter Longman, in my ears, Homesy, Homesy, wake up, Homesy. <laughs> so I think we blamed it on a technical hitch. <laughs> Oh, behind the scenes. And look, you know, like we're not ancient, but so much has changed in terms of technology even. You talk about getting into the office whatever time that you could get someone overseas on the landline phone, let alone what can happen today on WhatsApp or whatever. Well, when I was at the Qatar FIFA World Cup uh, at the end of last year, I spoke to a man who had been covering FIFA World Cup since the 1950s. And he told a story how, you know, he'd rock up to these events. Um, after a match, you had free access. You could walk into the dressing room, speak to any player you wanted, didn't matter how famous they were or weren't. Then you had to leave the venue, walk down the road, find a phone booth, make a reverse charge call <laughs> and file your story that way. And I thought, oh, my gosh, times really have changed. And how fantastic is it with modern technology, even with Zoom? You don't even need to pay for a phone call. You know, you just Zoom people and there they are. It's fantastic. Yeah, and I just think in terms of so much of this, and most recently for you, Tracy, the FIFA Women's World Cup here in Australia and New, Ze- uh, New Zealand, that the huge crowds, the amazing ratings for all the Matildas matches. Uh, where is that set for you in all that you have covered? And even on that, when you think about the first FIFA Women's World Cup all those years ago in the 90s. Yeah, well, the first World Cup Australia didn't qualify for, but um, Heather Reid, who was at that time uh, the CEO of the Australian Women's Soccer Association, because football, soccer, was separate then, like many sports. There was a separate women's body and a separate men's body because the men didn't really want to know about the women. Uh, And so Heather Reid went over there, given she was, you know, a CEO of a national federation, and we had organised on Grandstand to call her uh, 
in China and just get updates on what was happening uh, at the match and so at, at, at the World Cup. And so you think about those times and you think about where the Matildas have got to now and women's football globally. It's absolutely phenomenal. Um, I knew that the FIFA Women's World Cup was going to be as successful as it was. Uh, I had a hard time convincing some of those around me um, internally and externally that this was going to be the situation. Uh, So I'm just really glad it played out that way. And I think, um, you know, to to all the Matildas that came before, before they were ever recognised as Matildas, uh, before they were ever covered um, in, you know, sewing patches onto their own tracksuits and paying their own airfares and having to quit their job in order to be able to go and play. And also a tribute to um, my dear old friend um, who passed away a few years ago now, Les Murray, mm. who worked at SBS, Mr Football he was known as, because he really helped put put, put football in the spotlight and um, women's football was included in that because SBS uh, and Grandstand were about the only two media programs um, and outlets that covered what was going on in the women's game all those years ago. So it's fabulous to see how far it's come. And like you say, record television ratings for this country, Um, but also around the world, the number of people that tuned in, uh, how it's going in other nations as well. Absolutely fabulous. Just the positioning of women in the world of sport now from the days when you first started in broadcasting. Well, I remember in 89, which was when I, f- when I first started as a trainee broadcaster, specialist uh, in sport. And, you know, I'd, I'd go up on the weekends and the program would be going to air from 10am to 6.30pm on a Saturday and a Sunday. It was a really long haul. And you had to carry the big reels up. You know, all the interviews that had been pre-recorded were on the reel-to-reel tapes and they were quite heavy. And the studio was up the road and over the hill and up some stairs. And I remember after the first few weekends thinking, gee, there's a lot of men, isn't there? I wonder what the women are doing. And um, so I rang up and I think one of the first ones I did was cricket. I phoned up Anne Mitchell, who was the president then of Australian Women's Cricket Association, did a small interview. Anyway, I pieced together a few sports, few women into a 15 minute show and I presented it to the producers on a Friday afternoon and I said, oh, this weekend, amongst the, you know, 100 hours of broadcasting that you're going to give with all these men's sports, here's a 15-minute program called Women in Sport. It wasn't a creative <laughs> title, I know. Uh, but I did that for a fair while and then in the end they just started doing the interviews too and it's like that's when it became... It was just, it wasn't a separate thing anymore. And I think the ABC has been at the real forefront of that, uh, you know, for decades and decades. And you were there too. It was the same thing. Um, And there were women that came before us, not many. um, But, you know, we've all been part of that journey, Karen, and and your role in that should be recognised as well. Well, you know, the the time of, of being in ABC Sport, I have to say in TV at the time, and I loved in terms of when the National Summer Grandstand started tuning in to yourself and, and Mike McCann when I can and just all the areas that you were covering and the interviews that you were doing. 
I know in the TV sport with the ABC at that time, there was the real joy of the Hopman Cup tennis. And I think about golf like we've got this weekend. We had the, the Women's uh, Australian Open and the Ladies Masters and Kari Webb and Annika Sorenstam of Sweden and the Women's World Basketball Championships for the first time we covered uh, cycling and uh, Hopman Cup Paralympics and so much more. But for everything that you were doing and a national program, um, just the inspiration, so many voices and stories out there. What are those that really most get to you in terms well, of when it comes to sport? You know, I, I just think every day, every day of my life, I've said to my husband and my children and anyone else who'll listen that, you know, I'm the luckiest person alive for sure because I fell into this by accident. I just like talking to people. I like asking questions and to think that, you know, that level of um, just wonder has taken me around the world several times and enabled me to speak to many, many people and try and understand why sport means so much to so many people. And I've got to say, equally, there's a lot of people I've been getting messages from in the past month since I said that I was leaving the ABC. People saying, you know, I don't really have an interest in sport, but you made it interesting. Or, And of course, it's not just me. Like I said, Karen, it's what the ABC can provide and the way they can do things a bit differently. Um, and, you know, that it's, it's, the, it's the humanity of sport. It's also the unknown of sport. You can plan as much as you like, but on the day, it's the person with the heart or the head strength or the luck or something that is going to emerge the winner. And the person that loses had put in equal effort. And it's that constant kind of strain between the devastation and the elation. Um, it's the psychology of sport. It's, it's the things that have developed since then, you know, sport and law. I remember in the 1990s in Grandstand, we started a segment called Sport and the Law yep. with Marianne Robinson. Mm -hmm. um, and that used to run, you know, very intensely just before we would have the, the Grandstand quiz and we'd crown champions there. And, you know, just just different things, looking at it differently because sport is not different. Sport is about all of us. It tells us everything about the places we come from, the cultures we live in, our attitudes to other people. Um, it's it's just such a an eye-opener, and I've loved every minute. I just wanted to ask you, there's so many areas, but also your love of the Olympic Games and all that they mean and the changes over the years, and, of course, Brisbane 2032 in the distance, the Sydney Games, well, they were a huge highlight for me. And for you, just part of that journey, what is it about the Olympics, starting for you in Barcelona back in 1992? And now, well... You'll be there in some capacity, I'm sure, in Paris next year. Yeah, luckily the IOC said they're going to give me um, a, a freelance accreditation, which is very nice. So <laughs> I hope to be there telling stories of some kind. Um, but look, I, I often ask myself, because I understand all of the arguments and the criticisms, I totally get it. It's a lot of money to be invested in a two-week sporting carnival. But it's also a lot more than that. And so I'm constantly weighing up the differences, you know, the advantages and the disadvantages. And, and some of the trauma that comes around um, organised sport, as we know, horrible abuse cases that have been there for, for many decades. Um, you know, not every country can afford to put a team together. And we are so lucky. We've got the Australian Institute of Sport. We've got state governments that contribute money and federal governments. Um, 
So I, I look at all of that and I'm constantly weighing it up. And the one question I ask myself is, would the world be better without the Olympic Games? And I don't think it would be. But I think through all of the challenges and what it's been through, the boycott era, the Nazi Olympics of 1936, um, you know, the the challenges of moving from amateurism to professionalism, um, what we're seeing now is probably the biggest threat to the Olympic Games, and that is just remaining relevant. Mm, mm. The next generations are different. They look for different things. They want different things. It's good for you and me that, that grew up with it, but how does the Olympic games remain relevant and they do do a lot of work that they never get any credit for um, with regard to working for you know sport and the environment for changing the inclusiveness um, recommendations around sport getting involved in in human rights areas which they had traditionally steered clear of and it's a fraught space because every culture looks at these things differently um, so, you know, I think it plays a role much bigger than just those two weeks, that, that two-week sporting carnival. Um, and uh, I would not like to see a world without the Olympic Games because where else is there that you could go into a food hall and be sitting there having breakfast one morning and the person sitting opposite you is from North Korea? And these are the sorts of um, chance encounters and the ability to meet people from everywhere that help break down the barriers that show us the worst of humanity. And it's those sorts of opportunities that can also reveal the best in humanity. And so that's why I think the Olympic Games is important. It's been so great to speak to you, Tracy. And I know like last weekend in, in so many areas of sport, we've wrapped up the, uh, the year in motorsport, Formula One, supercars, MotoGP last weekend. Formula One, just one of the many stories in terms of uh, summer grandstand, when it was in Adelaide all those years ago, you really got to be part of it, didn't you, in terms of being there for grandstand at those Grand Prix? Yeah, it was really fabulous. <laughs> we we got approval to be able to you know do grandstand from uh, on top of pit lane. Wow. <laughs> and anyone that's been to Formula One, the place to be, I would argue, is pit lane because the roar of those engines every time they turn one on, it just vibrates. It just goes straight through your body. It, it I just love it. It's fantastic. Um, but to be there amongst the thick of it and to get to know some of the teams and the drivers and, and what you know their mental capacity was and their physical capacity and putting their lives at risk every time they go out there, um, it, it's lovely. Like what I love about sport, Karen, is the psychology of it. You know, what drives people? What makes people champions? And how do they distinguish themselves from um, every single other person that is there because they've got this incredible skill. So what separates one person from the rest of this incredibly credentialed pack? And, you know, one of those people was Ayrton Senna. And uh, I got to sit down and do a one-on-one -on -one interview with him. I remember doing it in the, um, in the McLaren um, van. Um, and it was just, it was just such a fascinating insight into uh, an incredible mind and an incredible athlete. And I remember very early in the morning being woken up, you know, when Ayrton had died. Mm. And uh, they, they sort of went back to that interview. And what struck me was that in so much of the interview, he was talking about himself in the third person as though he'd already passed. And, yeah, it was quite extraordinary but yet yeah, definitely that's one of the interviews that um obviously I, I remember 
very well. Yeah, here's just a little of that. Well, what happens after motor racing? How long do you plan to stay in Formula One? And what is there for Ayrton Senna after that? Only God knows, because uh, I believe I still have some way ahead of me. Although our lives are very intense and they can change radically in a very short space of time, period of time, but I, I basically believe I have still a long way to go. And I haven't got as far as after it. I'm really just playing as it comes and uh, waiting for the right moment eventually when I, I have to make a change in my life direction. You want to be the person that is listed most in the record books? Most world titles, most pole positions, most wins? I want just to be successful as long as I'm doing it. Because that means that as long as I'm doing I'm getting the thrill and the excitement from being competitive and, and being a winner. Um, if I manage to do it that way, and if I do it long enough to equal and beat <clears throat> some records, that will be even better. But mainly it's just to do it successfully as long as I'm doing 1991, that was Ayrton Senna. And I just wanted to play you, this was Peter Longman, uh, former head of ABC Radio Sport and producer of Grandstand. And when National Grandstand Summer Grandstand got underway with yourself and Mike McCann as hosts. And here is a little bit what he had to say. This is when Grandstand celebrated 21 years, its 21st birthday. With Grandstand, the best interview we've ever done was done by Trace with Arthur Ashe, who talked about being the first Afro-American to win um, US Open. And the story he told, I'll never forget parts of it. It just was fantastic. And I think that really, to me, sort of thought that Grandson had moved a long way from where we were, that you could talk to sports people about other things than the event they'd just been in, that we could talk about them, how they felt, uh, uh, their great moments. So I think, uh, to me, that was a moment I'll never, never forget. Arthur, you've been marked as a part of an incredible group of people, which includes names like JFK, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X. Do you feel a pressure knowing that you are so highly respected? Oh, I don't think I'm. Uh, I don't think you can utter my name in the same breath with them. Uh, but I do think, in my own niche, uh, in my own area, at least I've tried to uh, make a contribution. And I do think. Uh, uh, some good has, has come of it, and obviously it hasn't been done all on my own, but uh, I certainly have tried. Uh, that certainly was, was, was the objective in the very beginning. Uh, but the people you just mentioned, JFK and Dr. King and, and, and Malcolm X, that, that's another level altogether. Do you see yourself moving into politics? At one time I thought about it, but when I had my uh, heart attack in, six, in 1979, and the, and the two subsequent uh, open-heart bypass operations. Uh, any thoughts of a political career were uh, permanently shelved, uh, so I should say. Uh, but I am very keen on politics. I keep up with it. I mean, I keep up with Australian politics. Uh, uh, I, I just, I've been quite political all my life. Just one of so many interviews, hey, Tracy, over so many years. So many, and uh, you know, I remember those days with um, Peter Longman. We we had long days in the studio, long <laughs> hours, but we got to speak to so many different people. And we spoke earlier, Karen, about you know the changing in technology. Um, and I tell you one thing that I'm most grateful uh, for having changed over those years. That's my voice. 
<laughs> because I remember, you know, you hear back some of these things and you think, oh, my gosh, well, I had no idea that that's how I really spoke. You know, what happened to me? I've become rougher around the edges. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, no, Trace. but, you know, it's, it's just fascinating, that whole thing. And I think that's life. That's what life gives you. And so in some instances, yes, I've had to become a lot tougher in life. And I recognise that. I, re- I have become that. Um, but I still also, the, the one thing that really drives me is just getting inside the mind of a person and hearing from them uh, in those moments of absolute honesty. And uh, that's, that's how we all learn about each other. Tracy Holmes, so lovely to catch up with you this weekend. All the very, very best. And um, in the lead up, just have a wonderful summer and we'll just be looking out when the Paris Olympics get underway next year. Karen, thank you so much and thank you for sharing this journey with me. Across Australia, Across Australia. you're tuned to ABC Summer Grandstand. This is Summer Grandstand. On your radio, streaming online and on ABC Sport Digital. Uh, it's always great to have a chat with uh, Tracy um, in the studio, uh, wherever it may be. Look, we've got five minutes. Uh, we did chat on, uh, not surprisingly. And in terms of, I was just thinking about her weekly podcast over many years, The Ticket, uh, which has stayed with the ABC. Um, I've got some news on that. But I had asked her about that, just the, the wide world of sport and for, for her, The Ticket and what that has meant. Look, um, I'd love to be able to take it with me because it's not going to happen here. There's there's nobody uh, who can do it because everyone's you know busy doing their own thing. And I do have to say, I think I've got a bit of a, a, a unique sort of inroad to a lot of these places simply by having done it for so long. Um, I did ask if I could take it with me. Um, the answer was no, because it's the ABC's IP, and that's fair enough. I'll just have to start something new, Karen. Uh. <laughs> You'll come up with something, I know. Watch this space. But, you know, that whole Afghanistan story is is something very big, isn't it, in terms of oh, from the women's side and football and cricket in particular? Yeah, so I'll just give a bit of background on that. So i just come back from the Tokyo Olympics, which was a most unique event because it was the COVID Olympic Games. And I've described it as the loneliest games ever mm. um, for, for the lack of people. And, you know, the, the sort of it, it was just an incredible atmosphere. Um, so I came back and had to go straight into quarantine. But before I got back, I could see that the Taliban was advancing in Afghanistan and I could see that it was only going to be a matter of days before they entered Kabul. And I started thinking about all the women there because as nations like Australia and the US and Great Britain flew out, these were the nations that had supported the women um, from the time the Taliban was in charge earlier in the 1990s, supported these women. No, you have rights. You can play sport if you want to and all the challenges they've been through. And as I saw the Western nations flying out, I wondered what was going to happen to the women. So I phoned Kalita Popal from my hotel quarantine in Sydney and said, what's happening to the women now because the Taliban's riding into Kabul? And her... Yeah, the the devastation in her voice and the pain and the fear, it was obvious. And so a couple of people heard that interview. One was Nikki Dryden, 
who's a former Olympic swimmer for Canada and now a human rights lawyer. And um, she rang me and said, OK, what do we do? How do we get to these women? So she got together with a few other people. There was a bit of a team that was put together. Neil Fergus, I've got to give a shout out to, who's a, an expert in, in security and does a lot of work with the Australian Olympic teams and has done forever. Um, and they they kind of coordinated and got in touch with as many women as possible. And then women would be phoning me through the night from Afghanistan. They'd get my number from somewhere and just these pleas for help. And I'd pass on all of those numbers to Nikki and the team. And, mm. and you know, Neil would try and figure out ways of getting them out. They had to get out of that awful moat that was around the airport and onto the last flights out of Afghanistan. And, you know, credit to a lot of people, um, including the Australian government at the time who, who gave these emergency visas uh, to, to Qatar, who agreed to let them fly into Qatar before coming on to Australia. There was a lot of people and a lot of work. And some of that work still continues through to today, Karen. So, like, it's not over for a lot of people and family members still there and and facing an awful situation. But um, over 100 women and some of their closest relatives ended up, you know, coming to Australia to settle here. And um, I stay in touch with some of them now. Tracy Holmes and all of her ticket podcasts, you can always access those here at the ABC. Uh, But I just know overnight uh, that she has her new podcast relabeled as the Sports Ambassador. If you are looking for it, you can just Google that up and follow it that way. Uh, Just before we head up to ABC News, one thing I didn't have when I chatted with Trace was back in the early days of summer grandstand. So what you're listening to now, and I'm just thinking about being in the midst of summer and just the impact of bushfires and the role that the ABC plays right around this country in getting information through. And in terms of bushfires in 1994, here's just a snippet of summer grandstand. Uh, Mike McCann is a co-host with Tracy Holmes and also producer Peter Longman. Here's what they had to say. One of the makings of Grandstand actually came from a non-sporting event. And this will surprise you, but do you remember the, the dreadful Sydney bushfires yep. of 1994? Now, we actually covered that. That was in the middle of a, a cricket match happening in Brisbane, and it was a major catastrophe. It really was. Sport was on air. Grandstand was on air. And we effectively mounted a, an around-the-grounds-type coverage. I know Andrew Ollie, the late Andrew yeah. Ollie, came into the studio, and he was amazed. I remember, Trace, we started it. I remember Tracy Holmes commandeered, as she only could, a boat on Pitwater <laughs> and got the skipper to take her out in the middle of Pitwater yep. to describe the fires in Pitwater that afternoon. I'll never forget, that was amongst a cricket game. And you're right, that was the first... First, I think emergency broadcast the ABC did, and uh, it was it was yeah. and it was done by Grandstand. Done by Grandstand. Oh, just part of so much history, uh, ABC Radio and Grandstand, and it, it is a family. And I know Trace will always be a part of that. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. You can discover more ABC podcasts, live radio, and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.